Namaste, yogis and friends. I'm Kino McGregor. And I'm Tim Feldman. And we would like to welcome you to Miami Life Center's podcast. Om Yogena Chitasya Padena Vacham Malam Sharirasya Chavaidyakena Yopakarotam Prabaram Muninam Patanjalim Pranjali Ranatoshmi Mm. Repeat after me. Yokena chitasya padena vacham. Yokena chitasya padena vacham. Malam sharirasya cha. Malam sharirasya cha. Vaidyakena. Vaidyakena. Yopa karotam. Pravaram Muninam Yopakarotam Pravaram Muninam Patanjalim Pranjalirana Toshmi Good. How are you doing? So, uh, second chapter today. Um, so, up until now, we have been going over the first chapter. And um, in the first chapter, <coughs> we've been talking about what yoga is. We've been talking about that it's all in the mind. We've been talking about what constitutes the mind. We've been talking about what practice is, and we've defined the two opposites of practice. We've defined where it leads to, which is samadhi. We've defined that samadhi has four categories plus one. Four that has seed, four that has samskaras, and then it has a final state, which is without samskaras, without a lifeline. Where, now it's time to go. Um, we you know, have also talked that about it. There's two paths. There's one of surrender and there's one of effort. Um, then we spoke about that the path of surrender is the the, the the path of Ishvara, the path of surrender to Ishvara. And we were talking about the definitions of Him. We talked about kleshas and karma. We talked about samskaras. We talked about purusha and prakriti, and about the conjunction between. Yeah? Ooh, it's a lot. It's really a lot. If you uh, can't hang on to it all, there's something wrong with you. No, there's <laughs> nothing wrong with you. All right? <coughs> okay. Uh, we also talked about that, like, the whole idea with this is that we're trying to find our way back to our true self, to our true form, our Svarupa, as uh, Patanjali likes to call it. Um, we talked about the disturbances to this path um, and th- that will be naturally occurring and the symptoms that comes from these disturbances. We've talked about the four mindsets um, towards other people that helps us have Chitta Prasadhanam and that also helps us develop a more subtle state of mind which is necessary in the pursuit of Samadhi, which is an even more subtle uh, state of mind. Uh, we have defined that Eka Tattva Abhyasa is the way to go, that that is the medicine, that that is the remedy for it all, <coughs> and that's what we are trying to find. And that you can choose your personal Eka Tattva, 
that it's necessary to have an ekatatva, but you can choose which one you want. And that there is that ekatatva, there is a certain intention behind it that goes towards yoga that just doesn't go towards having a a mind of absence such as sleep, but that we are moving towards adding consciousness where no consciousness was there. Yeah. We have uh, that, um, and we have talked about that. Um, this whole ekatatva is the turning point. That the, it is the turning point where we can change ourselves from the samskaric karmic wheel of samsara that leads to rebirth upon rebirth upon rebirth upon the automatization of that that the ekatatva is the way that we can insert ourselves wedge ourselves in there um, <coughs> and when we do that then this amazing thing happens that the mind turns into a crystal that can be clear as a diamond with no inclusions. And when that happens, then we start to become immersed in truth. We become truth itself. We, be start, we begin to have proper understanding, true knowledge uh, from that. And that knowledge which is experiential in a specific way. So we just, we know how it feels to be a floorboard. We know how it feels to be a galaxy far away from ours, and we know what's going on there, and all that kind of stuff. Easy peasy. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, we good? So that's kind of what we've been talking about in the first chapter. You can hear it's small stuff. It's not much he's trying to get across. Uh, that was a joke. All right. Um, so now we come to Sadhanapada, <coughs> and um, today is one of those big days where I'm going to rely a lot upon my notes here, um, and I hope we're going to go through um, a good, good chunk. Today's day four. We have today and two more days left, um, and uh, if you look at this paper, I don't know if you have. The, this paper, you can see what we have in front of us is um, the Kleshas, the Kriya Yoga and the Kleshas. It should have said, but it says Kleshas and Kriya Yoga. I apologize. And then there we come into a section from 212 to 228. What's that? That's like 16 sutras, which is like heavy stuff, you know, like very theoretical, exo exotic, philosophical, uh, conceptual, s conceptual stuff. And um, we have already gone over a fair bit of that. Um, and if I can find a way not to get too lost in further details, then um, we can move quickly over that. And then we finish with that today. Yeah. And then tomorrow we go into the eight limbs and the benefits, which is a little bit more juicy stuff. And then the last day we will go into um, Asana Pranayama Pratihala. And that is the end of, uh, that's the, the, what is that? That is the third, fourth and fifth limb um, of the Ashtanga Yoga method. And if we have a little time, I even included the very beginning of book number three, the first kind of 10, 10-ish uh, sutras of book number three that I hope just to touch on because that is about 
Samyama, which is the last three uh, angas, the last three limbs of the Ashtanga Yoga method, Parana, Dhyana, and Samadhi. Let's see if we can make that happen also. Okay. Um, so, Sadhana Pada. So let's see, repeat after me. No, don't repeat after me. <coughs> <laughs> Salute. Tapasvadhyaya Isvara Prantanani Kriya Yogaha. Repeat after me. Tapa Svadhyaya Ishvara Pranitanani Kriya Yogaha. So good. You have good uh, pronunciation and oomph. Okay. So Okay, so when we are trying to pursue all that stuff that we just talked about, there is um, uh, a particular path which is uh, recommended. Um, when we are trying to pursue pursue all that stuff that we just uh, uh, revamped, uh, uh, that I just mentioned, uh, which in other words is yoga, yeah, then um, there is a key to how we walk this path, and that is the path of Kriya Yoga that we're trying to walk. So the Kriya Yoga path is the path of Kriya, which means action. Oh, how confusing. We've just been talking about that we shouldn't do actions because every action has uh, gives birth to another action and, and every action is based in a klesha. Oh, why late? Bad ladies. Bad ladies. And, um, and so forward. But remember that um, on the way to this place where there's less and less vrittis we are and less and less actions we are using actions to get there yeah so our practice is an action but it is, an, it is an action that tries to turn the conversation from unuseful and detrimental to our spiritual development into a conversation into a pursuit um, of something that furthers our spiritual development yeah so one of the ways that they explain that is if you are dirty then you take soap and a cloth and then you use that to wash off when you are clean you discard the soap and the cloth you don't need it no longer does that make sense if you are clean from the beginning you don't need the soap you don't need the water you don't need the cloth it is only if you are in an undesirable state of dirtiness that you want to gather these paraphernalia to get clean again. And after it is, it is not of any use anymore. Is it making sense? All right. Oh, I forgot to, to say what the sutra is. So the sutra tapas means uh, practice, means a modality of uh, action that has the potential to set forth um, transformation, positive transformation. Does that make sense? It is an action that um, within which change will happen. Okay? Such as our practice. So tapas means also intensity or heat. The idea is that you turn on the heat a little bit and then in that heat you start to be 
confronted with ourselves and so forward. Maybe you felt it this morning. Yeah. About 8.45. 8.45, yes. Okay? So, our practice is that. There's different kind of practices. For instance, the, all these ekatattvas that he was talking about, all these abhyasas, they are tapas by the end of the day. They are an action, an eka, a one-pointed activity focus that we are taking so we can learn something about ourselves. Yeah? For the purpose of transformation. Um, so that's the first one. Uh, oh, and there is more subtle practices and more gross practices. Later uh, in the eight limbs, he will talk about asana and pranayama. As far as I can see, like they have been brought in there from uh, Patanjali's point of view for one purpose, to give an example of a gross practice, like as a less refined practice and of a more refined practice. Uh, asana um, being using this gross tool to bring transformation about. Pranayama using the subtlety of the breath of prana and the inner uh, activities uh, to bring about the positive transmission. Yeah? But it could also be Japa, it could also be Ishwar Pradhanani and so forth. Alright, so that's one. The second one is Svadhyaya. So, uh, Svat means I and Dhyaya I think means something like concentration and Dhyaya somehow makes it means that like we're putting our concentration at something. So we're talking about putting your concentration, studying the Svat, the self. So we are talking about self-study, or study towards the self. We're talking about that there must be study. And when you start to put in, if you are thinking, oh, I would like to know who I am, then the first thing that you have to figure out is, how do I figure that out? Then you Google, how, do, how to get to know myself. That's the beginning, maybe, of Svatyaya in our day and age, right? Then you find, oh, there's a hot yoga Bikram Booty Ballet on down my local <laughs> corner. I will do that. And you take that for a while, and then you realize there's another kind of yoga that's maybe a little bit more elitist of approach, and then you come to the Ashtanga Yoga where you're not allowed to do anything you want and only what we tell you. <laughs> Something like that, yeah? So, um, why am I saying all this? Yeah, so there must be some study to understand your tapas. There must be study. Does that make sense? And then you now you take up your tapas. Now you have by study found your tapas. Now while you're doing this tapas, there's still more study to go on. This is why we're doing this class today. So the morning we study the body and everything that comes from or we study yoga from the point of view of the body. Maybe let's call it that. That would be more honest. And then today, like here in the afternoon, we study all that stuff that we start to get in touch with on our mat. Yeah? Um, and hopefully they uh, start to kind of like uh, feed each other so the uh, work on the mat gets more interesting and more motivating and more fulfilling and more clean and pure and directed um, and the uh, discoveries on the mat brings in the interest to uh, this afternoon's class um, of going a little bit deeper into those subtle conceptual things yeah so we can again take that back to the mat all right so tapas train our mind clean our senses svatyaya 
come to a clearer understanding of who I am. Um, Ishvara Pranatanani is the worship of God, devotion to God, or if I may be a little liberal here, to apply a surrendered, sincere, dedicated and devotional type of attitude. Type of attitude, no, just attitude. Yeah. So that there is that. What is it that, that we surrender? We surrender everything that is our klishtaha thoughts. Everything which we met in the fifth sutra in the first book, Brithayaha, Panchatayaha, Klishta, Aklishtaha. Klishta means the types of mind which is detrimental to yoga. So what are we trying to surrender? Either to God, if that works for you, or everything that goes against yoga. Yeah? Another way of thinking about it. Okay. And now here's a little funny thing that uh, Professor Rao, my, my teacher, he likes to tell me. He likes to say that Kriya Yoga, if you know the Yamas and the Niyamas, you can see that this is the last three of the Niyamas. So then it's like, oh, so did he steal those and put them up in the front? He's like, you could say that. But the way that Professor Rao likes to put it to me is that um, on the path of Kriya Yoga, you are supposed to do all the other stuff. That is just implied. Now, if you are not very good at the Kriya Yoga path, then maybe you have to do like that as of three, right? It's like three Anga Yoga. Then maybe you need to like apply another eight, you know? So you do Ashtao Anga. Then you need to also do all that other stuff. That's for the seriously guy in need. They do Ashtanga Yoga. For a reasonable aspirant on the yogic path they just need to do Kriya Yoga but for the rest of us we you know need all that other stuff all right <coughs> like yeah okay got it thank you very much okay second one so second one in the book of of practice sadhana sadhana pada is samadhi <coughs> samadhi pavanataha klesha tanu karanathas cha so um let's see where to start with that so it's kind of simple this so it is uh, saying that uh, kriya yoga is for cultivating the state the pava of samadhi kriya yoga is for samadhi pavana, pavanata uh, uh, cultivation one and for uh, tanuing which means um, uh, for klesha tanu ings, which means to thin the kleshas, to reduce the obstacles. That's what we're trying to do. So, Kriya Yoga is for two things, cultivating samadhi, samadhi and thinning the, the obstacles. Alright, what is the obstacles? Ooh, guess what, that comes next. <laughs> so that's kind of simple. Kriya Yoga, you must do. Why? because it furthers samadhi and it thins the 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 glaciers. basta that's all okay so the obstacles are we talked about the nine disturbances and the four symptoms uh, that comes from disturbances now before the disturbances e even sets in this all comes out of the glaciers. so when we talk about when you if you read the 
uh, what's it called, Upanishads and stuff, and they talk about impurities, or like when you hear your yoga teacher talk exotic yo yo yoga-ish, and they say, because it, it relieves impurities from the mind, this is what we talk about. This is, is the kleshas that we're talking about. Like impurities of the body would be toxins. It's also like toxins, again, comes from all this stuff. All right. So... Uh, the next one, number three of the second book, says Avitya Asmita Raga Dvesha Abhinivesha Ha Klesha Ha. Repeat after me. Avidya Asmita Raga Dvesha Abhinivesha Klesha Ha. So there it is, that word Klesha. So it's, it, it's a, it is a list. It is Avidya. It is uh, asmita, it is raga, it is dvesha, and it is abhinivesha. There's five obstacles, five of these are called the kleshas. That is the last word. So these, these are, these are they. Here, are th yeah, that was, I don't know if that was English, but I think you understand what I'm saying. So avidya, the first one. The word vidya uh, means, okay, I'll just go quickly through them, and then after that, the next uh, five, six, um, Sutras breaks them a little bit further down. So, in its simplicity, we have five obstacles to yoga. First one is avidya. Um, vidya means knowledge. Avidya means non-knowledge. It means instead of there being omniscience, there is niscience. There is no knowing. There is lack, complete lack of knowing. We usually use the word in, in uh, yoga called ignorance. Of course, it, it, this is the reason for the conjunction, which you know what is, which is the when the Purusha and the, the Prakriti starts to stick together and think they are the same. At least when the Buddhi think that it is Purusha, right? So that the reason for that is ignorance. And then yesterday, Chloe had a very good uh, question. She said, how did that start? How did Purusha become ignorant about Prakriti, how did Prakriti become ignorant about Purusha? And so this is a very fulfilling answer uh, from Yoga uh, Shastra, and they say that is beginningless. End of story. Yes, so they don't want to talk about it. So, <laughs> all right, so the idea here is, uh, like, when we talk about avidya, it is the problem with that we don't know who we are, that we have forgotten who we are. That this, uh, we also talk about uh, smriti sometimes, which is memory and remembering, and there's two ways of thinking about that. One is just the, the storing capacity in your brain. Another is as the spiritual type of smriti is remembering who you are, knowing that you are Atman and not your prakriti that you are a Purusha. Yeah, are we good? May I just uh, put your attention to the fact that if you have an idea about what's going on in the class right now, then you know a lot. This is a lot of information. This is like a lot of building blocks that you're starting to get your head around, okay? And you know, then now that means you're starting to have a map. What is a bakery? What's a post office, you know? What's going on inside the bakery that we can dive into? Oh, there's different kinds of baker bakery. There's like French bakers that they say everything should be sweet. And there's German bakers that says everything should be sour dough, 
you know I'm so so tall. All right. All right. <coughs> so uh, that was a whole other story. All right. Avidya is the first one. Ashmida is the second one. So the way we usually translate this is I the word ego. Another way to just call it this, which is a little more neutral, is individuality. Um, or one that I think is really useful is identity. It's like, I think this is who I am. It is that app that tells you that I am me and not you, that tells me that this is my pilgrino and not your pilgrino, and I know you want it. <laughs> so, yeah. It is that thing that divides me from everything else. It is that thing that tells me that I am unique, that I am not you, that I am not a Pellegrino bottle. I am much more than a Pellegrino bottle. It is that part. It is an app that in principle God had put into us, or whoever it was, and he could not have put it, in which case everything would be very different. Yeah? All right. It is the sense of I am, or it is the sense of I-ness, we say. Does it make a little bit sense? Okay. The next one is Raga, and that will usually go with Dvesha. So Raga is attraction. Raga is to like something. Raga is a good way of thinking about it, is something that draws you to it, something you have attraction to, like gravitational attraction to. It is more than just like, oh, that's kind of nice, I like. It is kind of like, Oh, you know, you just kind of like a two-year-old, you know, like uh, candy. <laughs> yeah, it's like just takes you. Um, so that is raga, and dvesha is the opposite. It is aversion or being pulled away from, gravitating away from. Is like is something that just makes you go the other direction. <coughs> and the final one, apinivesha. It's usually translated into fear of death, fear of dying. And of course we are talking, we're not talking about the Purusha dying because the Purusha is eternal. So what we're talking about is the, your Prakriti dying. Your understanding your, of yourself as Prakriti, we know that is the conjunction, we know that's a misidentification, we know it's wrong, false knowledge. We know that is based on ignorance. But it is the fear of losing your identity. It is the fear of losing your body because you identify, we identify, I shouldn't say you, I should say we, shouldn't I? Uh, we identify with the body. If I do something where I'm going to lose my body, Ishvara is going to say, no problem, because you are Purusha. You get a new one tomorrow. <laughs> but for me, I'm like, but I really like this one. <laughs> you know, if I don't have this one, I can't say hi, I can't wave to John. Yeah? So it's like, and I come, okay, I come back in the new and I wave to John. John's going, well, who's that dude over there that's, <laughs> yeah? So, yeah. All right, another way we think about it is clinging to life as we know it. Okay, good. Um, all right, so a little bit about that. So cultivating self-awareness is considered um, very, very important and like a foundational importance to yoga. Cultivating self-awareness about our individual kleshas, about these, like our own kleshas and how they play themselves out, is considered very important. Do I have a lot of raga? Do I have a lot of desire? We're like, do I want everything? I just can't get enough. I have one computer. I would like also the new one from last year because it has a 
different casket around the screen here. And then I would also like that iPad. And when I went to, uh, to the Apple store yesterday, I saw they also had an iPad mini. And you know, I just like have so much desire of, for stuff that I want. Um, or I don't like anything. It's like, I don't want to be with other people. They smell bad. Like I don't want to, uh, I don't like to eat anything, only potatoes. You know, or something, you know, like, do I have a lot of um, abinivesha? So abinivesha, like we get to that in a moment, like, okay, <coughs> good. Now, if you look at this avidya, asmita, ragadvesha, abinivesha, klesha, ha, if you look at that whole construction, like, you can see maybe how, why that the, the Indian system has a, a structure that is the, called guru parampara, that is the guru shisha. Guru as the teacher and Shisha as the disciple or the student. Why they have that? Because the idea is that the Guru has gone through some stuff and is very knowledgeable. So he is able to take me, the Shisha, the disciple, out of my avidya. But to do that, he's gotta have to go, he's gotta have to take me past my sense of identity. Sense my ego, my individuality. This is who I am, this is what I can do. In, and very much included in this whole idea about my identity, from having a sense of identity, that's how I define what I like to do and what I don't like to do. Yeah, let's say I am, uh, no, uh, I don't need to go there. <laughs> so so um, that means that the Guru has to break through my ignorance. He does that by his vidya. He has to break through my avidya, he does that by his vidya. Then he starts to break through my asmita, my sense of, in, of, uh, of, in, of I-ness. And then he has to break through what I like and what I dislike. Because that doesn't necessarily go with the good teaching or the bad teaching. They're just like, they are a principle of themselves. And finally he has to break through my fear of losing who I think I am. So you can see why we have these like uh, this power structure, which is the guru that says, David, you must come every day. You must come one hour before everyone else. And you must do first series, second series, and third series. And if you like it or not, meaning if there is dukkha or sukha, uh, accompanied with that is of no concern. If you have raga to watch it, or if you have dvega to watch it, it's of no concern. And if you are afraid, of you getting hurt, it is of no concern. You do what I say. You can see like where that comes from, right? And if it's a truly knowledgeable uh, guru, it's awesome, man. Like that means David has the chance of a lifetime here. Actually more than a lifetime, yeah? It's like one in a zillion. But if the guru is not pure, then that's a problem, yeah? Because then, you can go very, very wrong. You can get very, very hurt along the way. Okay. Um, let's continue on here <coughs> on that auspicious note. So number four goes into, so now we start to break down the, the, the five places. And the first one is of called avidya. So it goes like this. Avidya kshetram utaresham prasupta tanuvichino taranam. Repeat after me. Avidya. Kshetram, Kshetram. Uta Resham, Uta Resham. 
ప్రసుప్త చాను విచ్చినో తరణం All right. So what it says here is the one of the reasons that we start with avijja is because it's considered the primary obstacle to yoga, the primary uh, principle of suffering of of suffering. And um the way that they uh, that Patanjali explains it, he says it is the field upon which the other four pleasures grow. So consider a field like an agricultural field where you grow stuff. So it is the avidya has that it's it stands out. It is that significant. Yeah. Soil? Soil? Yes. So without that then the other four will not grow. If there is vidya there will be then we if there is true knowledge where will not think that I am prakriti. If I don't think I am prakriti I don't care what feels good or what feels bad and I will not have any problem with letting prakriti come and go on its own accord. Does that make sense? So avidya is is the f- the first one. Um so they say that uh, avidya as well as all four kleshas can be of four kinds. It can be dormant as in inactive just lying there like a seed deep in the ground waiting to be to get water as long as you don't give it water it will just nothing happen you give it a good rainfall wee they start the the little sprout starts to come up that's one it can be weak as in the first sprout just coming up it doesn't take much to to break it or kill it or make it go back to its inactive form doesn't take much it can be temporarily interrupted that of some reason growth stops and it just like impaired in its growth or it can be in um full active mode where it is creating actions so one example of this is if you are a smoker so i am a smoker and i smoke 10 big cigars a day and um it like that means that my craving here my pleasure here my is is in an active uh, mode and it's creating actions it's creating probably some lung lung cancer it is creating a certain um social circuit i would imagine and it's like there's some people that will not want to even get close to me you know because of all the huffing and puffing um so that's one then let's say i go to work but i forget to bring my cigar then oh i there is no smoking going on there is no continuation of all the impact of this but it is just a little parenthesis as soon as i come home to my you know nice cigar box it starts again um then it can be weak it can be that my cravings are getting a little bit lower so actually i don't need 10 cigars a day i just need one or i need just one every time i go to a party or something like that and then again it can be dormant and active like for instance say i move to a new city and everyone in this city i get a new social circle they hate all the smoke like like i get divorced and i get a new wife and the new wife hates the smoke yeah so now i can't smoke you know like if i try to smoke she says you go out so then i prefer to my new wife to the cigar so then i say okay i let go of the cigar 
But in the moment that I move back to my old city and I come back to my old social cir circle or I let go of my new wife or go back to my ex-wife again, <laughs> then, this, then the cigar smoking picks up again. It is just lying there dormant, waiting for an opportunity to go. So we say that the glaciers unfortunately are of this type. When we come to the final, the Asampragnata state of... Uh, of the Samadhi, you know where I am? The Sabija, no, sorry, the Nirbija, the one without the seed. Then we say that this seed that has been lying now dormant through the other four Samadhi states, now that will become fried. That it will become toasted, roasted, like you put a seed on a, on a pan. After this, it can never sprout again. Yeah, it is now of no use. So, but up until then, up until Nirbija Samadhi, up until Asampragnata Samadhi, you will have your kleshas, your, your karmic samskaras lying dormant inside, just waiting <laughs> for you to go back to your ex-wife. Yeah? For to the very last breath. For to the very last breath. Yeah? Okay? So... We are trying to tunnel, we're trying to thin out the cravings, the dependencies on this, more and more and more, until they're not there. All right, next one, number five. So this is about um, uh, Ashmita. So, Anicca Suchi Dukhanatmasu, Anicca Suchi Sukatma Kyatir Avidya. So repeat after me. Anicca, suci, tuka natmasu, nicca, suci, suka atma, kyatir, avidya. So in this one, um, we are talking a little bit further about the definition of uh, avidya and again vidya means knowledge and avidya means the opposite so ignorance is often referred to as walking into a dark room you've heard me say that over these days you come in you can see nothing you bang yourself up against the walls and the lamps and the furniture and you're you're full of pain and you can't change anything because there is no knowledge there is no light um, it, is c it comes from the conjunction, from the misidentification that we think we are the body, but we are not. Now, so, um, uh, Abhidhya comes of four types. So, the first uh, w one of those is that we confuse what is impermanent for what is permanent. We think that what is transient is eternal. We think that this is the end of the world, my body is the end of the world, what I think is the end of the world, my notions, my faith, my belief system is the end of the world, whereas it is just a passing phase. And it, you could just take a different state of mind and they would, there would be no, no difference. As a matter of fact, many people does that. So when we think that that is so important, so we, we, we see it as the only thing, we call that kind of permanence, yeah? Whereas we can say it's just, you know, people think like this, you know? 200 years ago or whatever it was, 500 years ago, people thought the world was flat. Mm -hmm. Now they think it's round. People in, in uh, the Western world think that uh, our emotional lives is very important. 
if you go to India and stuff, they don't think it's so important. I think it's important to eat. <laughs> you know, as in, if you don't, you die. You know, so, <laughs> and so forward. So that that idea, transient for eternal, basically that we are prakriti and that we are not purusha. That that problem, yeah, because prakriti is um, a temporal thing, where purusha is a permanent thing. Everything of that that exists in prakriti will decompose and fall away. It's just that simple. The body, a tree, the universe, the galaxies, your cigars, everything. Okay. All right. That's one. The second one is to confuse what is pure for impure. To think that uh, buddhi is purusha by the end of the day. Yeah. To think that the to misunderstand um, the buddhi, the crystal, the reflection of purusha in the mind, thinking I am that. Yeah. Uh, one way that they no, then we go we we'll go there after. Um, the next one, number three, is confusing dukkha for sukha. Confusing what is sweet for what is painful and vice versa. So, painful pleasure. So, one, for instance, a really good example, maybe you can relate to this one, is confusing that staying in bed and sleeping is better than going up and practicing at six o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah? You know that? It's like, oh, I think it would be much better for me to sleep and then go and have eggs with my best friend. <laughs> yeah? That is truly sweet. Who needs yoga? Yeah? So that would be straight up Patanjali's alley here. All right. <laughs> so number four is uh, confusing uh, non-self for self. We are in the identity again here confusing identity for atman atman for identity yeah again we are in purusha prakriti land here this is all all right let's move on number six drik darshana shakcho ikat mate ivasmita repeat after me drik darshana shakcho Ekatmate Evasmita. Okay, so here he talks about Asmita, the ego. So we are uh, uh, into the misunderstanding of the Atman uh, uh, and the Buddhi, and we are in the confusion. Maybe you remember from yesterday, uh, I think it was, we were talking about the knower, the instrument of knowing and the object to be known. Do you remember we were talking on Grahitri Grahana Grahyesu? It was called, it's a little bit further back, I forgot which one is. So what we are talking about here is to misunderstand um, that the instrument of seeing, which is your body and your mind, your buddhi, and your uh, ahamkara, your ego and so forth, is actually the central part in the whole thing. That is the, the one who understands, the one that sees. It is not the case. Our buddhi 
our body is just the instrument that is used to get to know something, get to do something, whereas the one that sits with the ability to ob observe and witness uh, what's going on is in fact Purusha. Yeah, it is your soul that is the seer. So it is this, um, this uh, issue. Um, and again, it's because of the reflection of the Purusha and the Bodhi that the Bodhi just gets it wrong. Conjunction happens. It is the app that says it is me instead of I am part of everything. As a matter of fact, it wouldn't even say that. It would say everything, <laughs> I suppose. Um, so uh, there are a couple of examples that is usually given, he given here. For one thing is it's the light bulb thinking it is the electricity. Yeah, we all know that the light bulb is the instrument for the light and the electricity. You could even say that that is not even light itself, but you, I think you get the idea. Yeah, the Buddha think it's Purusha. Another way that talks a little bit about how ridiculous the idea of Asmita is that my professor often talks about is he say, I am seeing, I am Nagaraja Rao in this case that I am Tim Feldman, <coughs> right? So you look at me, I am in my early 50s and I look like this, I'm a little bit skinny, I'm losing a little bit the hair, I have blue eyes and I have like a nose that points over to this direction. But if you had met me 45 years ago, I didn't look like anything like this, you know? So if you had met me when I was seven and you said, who are you? Uh, what's your name? I said, I am, I am Tim Feldman. <laughs> and then you meet me 45 years later and then you say, who are you? I say, I'm Tim Feldman. You say, no, I met Tim Feldman. He was like this, yay high. And you know, he was on a little pink bicycle or something like that, you know, blue maybe. Those days that was important. <laughs> and uh, you know, and things like that, right? So how can you say you were the same person? You know, how can you identify with that, you know? So, and they, according to science, you know, they say every seventh year, all your cells has been reproduced. So now there is no cells left from seven, eight years ago. You are literally a new Prakriti. So how can you still have this part inside of you that says, I am the same, I am Tim Feldman? Yeah, all right, I think you get what I mean. He explains it much nicer, all right. All right, so we go on, number seven. So number seven is Sukha. <coughs> Sukha? No shame. Sukha, uh, <coughs> Sukhanushaya Sukha Raga, Sukha Ragaha. So repeat after me. Sukha, Sukha. Anushayi, Ragaha. So now we're talking about Raga. So um, uh, Raga is, um, uh, attraction is uh, everything that like uh, previous uh, positive experiences um, that s has been stored in the mind that is making us look for repetition of that yeah I did something it felt really great now that's I then now I start I want to do it again yeah I ate a nice croissant on 17th Street, I would like to go back to 17th Street and eat that croissant. Now I keep doing that like after a while someone says 17th Street, I'm like, oh, that's a nice street. 
Yeah? And it's like, how about 16th Street? Nah. You know. So then there starts to be something like this. Also, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, let me see what, what about that here. Yeah. Okay. Um, or like the croissant itself. So like I eat a croissant, it tastes really good. So now I eat that a couple of times. And now uh, Chloe, she says, she's talking to Troy over there. And she says, blah, blah, blah. I went to France, you know, this country where they make croissants. And I hear croissant. Who? And then my mouth is starting to water just from the word. So there starts to be a wholesome scar around this. So that means I start to have a craving, I start to have a dependency, I start to have an attachment, I start to have a desire in that regard. Alright, so the next one is Tukanu Shai Dve So, that is its opposite, it is number 8. Repeat after me. Duka, Duka. Anushai, Anushai. Dve so it is the same, but it's its op opposite. It is previous experiences that has uh, previous activities or thoughts that had led to a uncomfortable or displeasurable uh, experience. So uh, it creates bonding just the same. Um, but what we have now, we have a version in, and we will do everything we can not to meet it again. Yeah. So. Um, here is an example maybe again with the croissant. So I eat the croissant, it tastes really sweet to me, I want to eat it. I, like I have this sweet taste in my mouth every time that I eat the croissant. And um, then I do some more yoga, and then I start to get more kind of like subtle sensations in my body, and I realize that the sweet taste in my mouth is there, but when it comes into my body, I start to feel bloated, I start to feel a little bit tired, and I start to feel like it's not really moving through my system very well. So then, like, I start to be a little bit in conflict until, let's say, that the sensation down in this part is bigger than the sensation up in this part. So now, when I see croissant, I don't think, ooh, it tastes sweet. I just think, like, oh, asana is going to be difficult, and I'm not going to feel comfortable in my body. I don't want to eat it, yeah? So um, that would be like a s some kind of devotion, yeah? Or you learn an asana, and it's very difficult, and every time you do it, it is painful, and you flip out a little in your mind. And then you have to do it as your last asana, and you're working on it, and you're like, it's really hard and you're working on it for a while and you're doing your best and there's not really maybe any progress or maybe there's a little bit of progress but there's still discomfort and pain and the mind all that kind of stuff so now will you wake up in the morning and you've been thinking for the past year yoohoo I'm going to Miami Life Center to do yoga yoohoo and meet my friends but now you think I'm gonna go to Miami Life Center and they're gonna do that asana with me are you going to make me backbend? Aye. It's like, ah. So then it starts to be difficult, right? So I have a friend. Her name is Vera. She's, run, she's wonderful. She's running a yoga studio in Portugal. So I went to teach there a couple of times. And one day I, I flew into Lisbon. And then I got my bag and I went through the airport. And on the other side was uh, Vera. She was picking up. I said, hey, Vera, how are you? She was like, that's really all, all I said. Hey, Vera, good to see you. Give her a hug. How are you? 
She said, yeah, good. You know, I have a little bit of a, a back pain. You know, I'm working on Kapotasana and it's so hard and it's like, oh, I had so much pain in my life. <laughs> and I hadn't seen it for two minutes and she was crying about Kapotasana. <laughs> and I, then I thought, like, this is a really good example of why not to push your asana too much. You know, that there is a certain amount you can push your asana and then there is a place after that where you should just not push so hard, right? So, um, all right, good. I'm sure we all have uh, that uh, experiences like that. Salute. All right, number nine. Svarasavahi vidushopi tatauruto apinivesha. So this is about apinivesha. This is the fifth one. So, um, Apinivesha is the fear of losing our life as we know it, as in Prakriti, as in we haven't gotten, we haven't figured out who we are, so we're afraid of losing who we think we are. Um, and what this um, uh, uh, sutra says, it says that that is not just something that is that an unintelligent person thinks. This happens even for the educated and the wise. This happens even for the sadhu. This happens even for the yogi. This happens even for, you know, all these like super, super people. Yeah, it happens all the way to the end. So um, I think he's trying to make us feel better. <laughs> now, so one way that we can understand the word abhinivesha, this is like idea of losing life, it's kind of like abstract in some way. But we have some psychological terms that we, I think, are quite familiar with in the West, which is phobia and neurosis. So you can have a phobia, for instance. Uh, a, good a good explanation um, of abhinivesha um, uh, 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 is if you are afraid of a mouse, if you're afraid of mice or a cockroach, yeah? So it's like there's this little thing that can do you absolutely nothing, <laughs> that is running around over there, which has the effect on me that I'm like running away screaming and standing on a table and everything on the table falls down, even the expensive vase that I bought in Bloomingdale's yesterday. So, but I have no thought about it. So that would be like little neurotic, neurotic, that would be a little bit of a phobia. I am afraid of cockroaches like that. So, and what is it I'm afraid of? I'm af like, yeah. I'm being challenged in like s on some deep level of who I think I am. And we can all see that it is not a very good idea. And as a husband, it is lovely because you can really outplay your hero complex. <laughs> <coughs> all right. So it's an irrational strong emotional reaction, mental emotional reaction. There can be fear of anything. I have one myself, for instance, I have, I'm acrophobic. I have a little bit fear of heights that like plays funny games with me. This is just one ex example. It's another kind of phobia and neurosis. Alright, <coughs> good. Number 10. I'm, not go I'm going half as fast as I should. That's great to know. All right, here comes a difficult one somehow. Now comes like, now we go into some heavy duty stuff. So the next one is te prati pratava heyaha sukshmaha. Repeat after me. Te prati, te prati. prasava, prasava. 
Heyaha. Sukshmaha. So it says something like that these deep seeds, these five kleshas of original pain and obstacles, almost like the original sin, you know, they sit so deep. They are, they function on a deeply subconscious level, on a deeply subtle level. And therefore they are hard to even notice that we have, and therefore they are very hard to do something about. They're very hard to target straight on. Like it took me a while to realize I had fear of uh, heights. And now even to this day, I'm not quite sure why I have fear of heights. You know, I can come up with a couple of good reasons for that. But yes, for instance, but um, there's other people that had a bad accident that is not afraid of heights. You know, you could also like apply you. I had a fall from the mountains when I was 25 where I almost died. But you know, that don't need to be afraid of that when I stand on the 45th floor on a skyscraper with a concrete barrier between me and eternity, you know, or whatever <laughs> is there. So like I can just like hold on to that. You know, this like there's a statistical evidence that it's reasonably solid, you know. So, um, you know, things like that, right? But, um, so, but what, what Patanjali says here is um, that they are, they come from Prakriti and they come from the Gunas and they come from all of that and they are naturally occurring phenomena um, and, and, and by the end of the day, what we are trying to do, like the remedy to fix these ones is? Huh? Yoga, practice. yoga, yes, practice, more precise. Abhyasa, Vairagya, Abhyam. But we had that little, the Eka Tattva Abhyasa. Right, so the practice that consists of two things must be on with on one object, must be one pointed of the mind. That is the game changer. Yeah, when we find that. Okay, I think that's all I had to say about that. Oh yes. All right, so. And what he says here, now we're getting kind of like into this like philosophical thing. So these glaciers are subtle. These glaciers are, uh, they are part of the evolution of Prakriti that comes from Mula Prakriti, Prakriti itself, pre-mortal matter that comes into the yogic version of the periodic table, the three gunas that come, that then uh, from there uh, we got, uh, uh, the creation goes on, the evolution goes on to become the uh, the tri-chitta, the, um, uh, the buddhi, the ahamkara, and the manas. And out of that, out of the manas, you have uh, the creation of the body and the um, tools of perception and the tools of action. Tools of perception would be your senses, tools of actions would be like hands and feet, stuff like that. And then also on the other hand, like out of there, you have the creation of what we call gross matter um, and of subtle, subtle matter. 
everything else like that so don't you don't need to really hang on to this what the reason that I'm telling you this and this all comes from Sankhya if you're interested in that I have found the page it's right here about the evolution of everything it's right here on this page <laughs> so and um, um, so when everything is created it goes like that and now when we start to um, uh, become enlightened then these this evolution what do you what is the opposite of evolution devolution unvolution involution I think it's called devolution is that wrong you know what I'm talking about. We, whatever the word is, evolved, to devolve, devolution, to devolve. So, so the the crea the evolution, the creation starts to turn in on itself. So what happens is that the end of this whole uh, whole thing is all these like very physical things, like my body that falls away and I end up with only the subtle part of my body which is my mind yeah so that falls away this is my my try mind so that f and my senses and so forth that falls away and then what am I coming back to then I come back to the periodic table and I just become these atoms or these three gunas either uh, like a combination of the principles of uh, uh, sattva and tamas and rajas in the same way as if I was an, uh, a water molecule then if you break it up I just become hydrogen and oxygen again and I go back to that and then after that that also dissolves and it comes back to what was before that which in our case is in the western part of the world is the Big Bang does that make sense so there and then after that after the Big Bang that is Purusha something like that so what it says is the glaciers come from the Prakriti and the, it follows us our whole circle of samsara here and then when we are done with samsara and we're f beginning to go into the samadhi states and we're starting to find this enlightenment and all that then in the very final state the, everything falls apart Prakriti falls apart and comes back into its original form most simple pure form and then that also falls away super interesting right what the heck are we going to use that piece of information for <laughs> I have no idea but th that's what it says <laughs> so now you know that if you ever wondered what was going to happen when you became enlightened now you know That was number 11. Did we say it? No. 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 Oh, yeah, that was number 10. We did say it. Yeah. All right, let's take the next one also, number 11. Tiana, <coughs> Tiana, Heyaha, Tat Ritayaha. Repeat after me. Tiana, Heyaha, Tat Ritayaha. So, Vritaya is Vritti, Tiana is concentration, which is the or meditation which is the basis for samadhi which is the stepping stone to uh, to samadhi so what this one says it says that to solve um, the problem with the glaciers to let to dissolve the 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 glacier this this state of ignorance of craving of aversion 
of egotism, of fear, of phobia, neurosis, and all that, the um, the uh, the the method to that is tiana. <coughs> the method uh, to that is to do meditation, is to do tapas, is to do practice, is to do ikatatva abhyasaha. Yeah, so we come back to that that uh, thing. All right, so we're going through like all these like abstract things, and what do we come back to? You take it, practice, 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 all is coming. <laughs> yeah, so we, we're back to the same thing. Um, now it is five minutes past two. And I came, mm, I only got to number 11. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just keep it like that today. And hope that I can get through some more tomorrow. To, to be honest with you, I'm not even so concerned about if we, like the next chapter, I can't, like I'm trying to figure out if it's important, like if you look at this thing. The next 16 uh, uh, sutras, I'm not sure it's so important. And we have spoken about a lot of them, so I think we potentially can go over them pretty fast. Maybe you can, but I can't. We have to see. <laughs> but um, I don't think it's necessarily so uh, important to, to know about. But um, And then after that come the eight limbs. And then after that comes Asana Pranayama Pratihara. We'll talk a little bit about that. But the eight limbs, you know, you, I somehow like think, yeah, yeah, that is information that's available out there. So maybe I could also just like go really fast over that. Mm -hmm. And I think that there is a podcast with me talking about the eight limbs. Is that right? Well, you said it like the yamas. The yamas, at least. Yeah. Is a, yes, we, like we did one each. I think I did two. I think I did yama and tarana. But is there one way I do all of it, the eight limbs? No. All right. But it is like that, that the eight limbs uh, is something that is a little bit more uh, available, at least. So maybe I can also just go over that and not go so deep into that. Anyway, thank you for today. Shall we do an OM? Shall we do the, the, the Yogena Chittasya one more time? Mm -hmm. Just so you have two chances on it in one day? <laughs> okay. I'll do it once, then we do it line by line. <coughs> Yogena Chittasya chit mm. Padena Vacham Malam Sharirasyacha Vaidyakena So where you go a little bit wrong is in the Sharirasyacha so we'll go over that in a second. The next line you do pretty good. Yopakaro tam pravaram muninam patanjalim pranjali ranatoshmi. Okay, so let's do the first line. Om. Yogena chitasya padena vacham. Malam Sharira Shacha Malam Sharira Shacha Malam Sharira Shacha Malam Sharira Shacha Good Vaidyakena Vaidyakena 
Malam Sharira Shachavaidyakena. Malam Sharira Shachavaidyakena. Good. Yo. <laughs> Let's say that was awesome. <coughs> Yo Pakarotam Pravadam Muninam. Yopakarotam pravaram muninam. Yopakarotam pravaram muninam. Patanjalim pranjali ranatoshme. Patanjalim pranjali ranatoshme. Very good. One last time. Yogena chitasya padena vacham. Malam Sharira Shachavaidyakena. Malam Sharira Shachavaidyakena. Yo Pakarotam Pravaram Muninam. Yo Pakarotam Pravaram Muninam. Patanjalim Pranjali Ran Toshmi. Patanjalim Pranjali Ran Toshmi. Super duper. <laughs> Good job. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So I'm stuck with the, like we have, uh, we have like survival skills, like you said yeah. about um, your, your office. I don't think it's um, it's a it's a mania. I, I don't think you. It's a it's a built-in in. in it's a built-in kind of fright, frightening them. Supposed to, they're supposed to eventually protect you. Uh huh. So you wanna dismiss. Uh huh. So you wanna you. Is that a question or a statement? No, it's not okay. a statement. It's, it's trying to understand if I do want like my survival skills. Y yes. Survival. The one that protects me. Yes. Because because of them, I have all kinds of fears. Am yeah. I making it sense? Yes, I think so. For instance, like I'm afraid of heights. Yeah. It's a good idea because if you are very, if you are ten meters up and you're not afraid, you might just jump, right? And then you're going to die. Yes, but it's exaggerated. It's an exaggerated, um, like so now, like so God gave me or whoever gave me, like. A caution. So when I come and I look down, I, sh I start to feel fear. It's like a caution tale. But now I stand 10 feet back, not even close, and I'm still afraid. Uh, yeah, me too. This is why I'm uh, relating to Yes. So it is it like that parameter is turned up too high. Okay. So it is. It so is if I look down and I get an analogy, it's yes. okay. But if I stand 10 feet away, I have the same. something that I want to Yes. Yeah, so if you look at it as if you are a software producer and you make apps for iPhones and then you have made an app and it's made to, uh, let's say you have made the voice recognition for Siri, you, ha you have an iPhone and you know, you can, there's certain things that you can say that turns Siri on automatically. Now, so, but that has to be accurate. I think if you say, hey Siri, then she turns on. Now imagine that anything you say, Siri turns on. 
it's not useful. You can't use your phone for anything. Everywhere you are, every time you open your mouth, she goes, hey, Liran, what can I do for you? You know what I mean? So this is not useful. So yeah. then as a developer of the, like if you sell it to iPhone, they're going to say, hey, that's the problem here. You know, people don't want to buy the phone anymore. <laughs> so then you say, okay, let me go back and let me like turn down the sensitivity of the voice recognition until it's at a level where it is practical and useful. Yeah. So the same thing That's with Akrof. What? That's the key. Practical That's the key. And useful. That is the key. So you want to have enough fear of heights to not die. And anything more than that is not, is useful, not useful or practical. Yeah. That's all it is. Okay. Yeah. yeah? So I think many of these things are, as you say, has two sides to them. Um, for instance, it is not a good. I it is good to want to continue to live. That's the reason it's in there, that seed. Yeah. Because if you didn't care, if you disregarded your life, like the life is considered human, like as what is it that the Dalai Lama says, precious human life. You know, one in a million like gets birth as a human being. So this life is considered this body that you get to live a life is considered an instrument to learn. Who is going to learn? Purusha. It's beyond us. Like we are here to put for that dude out there to learn, except I am that dude. Yeah. Also. So um, it is a it is like if we should use like everyday terminology we say this is a divine instrument this is an instrument that is meant purusha to experience and come into its knowing you know so what I think about it has to be very careful I had to make sure I don't kill it I had to make sure I don't take this instrument away so I need fear of heights I need to be careful when I see a creature that I don't know what is because it could kill me I need, you know, there must be some recognition of danger in that. For instance, I fell off the mountain when I was 25. I asked myself, why did I fall down that day? And the reason I fell down that day was I was 25. I was a bit reckless in general, you know, and I can get away with being reckless out there, you know, like a young boy, you know. But in the mountains, you cannot be reckless. Because you do one little thing wrong, you have to be very accurate with your decision taking. Because you, it, you are in such a thing. And I was in an environment I didn't understand. And then I brought my recklessness into a dangerous place, in a dangerous environment that I didn't understand. So the reason I fell down was because I decided to do an action that was a really bad idea. I didn't. I didn't just trip and fall. I took some steps to get myself in trouble that day. I didn't know they were dangerous until it was I was in the middle of falling down. I was like, whoa, that was a bad idea. <laughs> so, but yeah. So I disregarded my instrument. And in, in this terminology, 
if I had lost the instrument down there that day, that would have been such a waste. Ugh, now we need to go through the whole thing again to get <laughs> me into a new body, make it grow up, make sure it doesn't die. You know, okay, now we're back to where we can learn again. So. Thank you. May I ask you for a favor? Mm. Will you turn the... Oh, no. Linda, would you turn the AC <laughs> on? <laughs> I think I know what you mean. Meet Frank. Um, I can ask a few questions, but I'll stick with one. Um, so, as far as Pranidana, I think that you said something different that I hadn't really heard before. Um, you said something about it being surrendered to anything that takes you away from yoga. Oh, everything that... Um, takes you towards yoga or, or surrender yourself like to let go of everything that takes you away from yoga Yoga Chitta Vita Nirodha, right? But what is the state of yoga? What is yoga in its essence? The state of union. What do we call that? Samadhi. So yoga is samadhi. So everything that doesn't lead, and what is the ultimate state of samadhi? Liberation, right? Moksha. So uh, that's called Nirvijja Samadhi, Asamprajnana Samadhi. So everything that takes you away from the state of samadhi, you must let go of that. You must you must denounce that. You must surrender that. You must give it up. Right. You must have an attitude of non-attachment to that. Does that make sense? Yeah. So now, like that, that kind of combines your two notions right there. Like because what is yoga? By the end of the day, is to move yourself towards purusha. Purusha is the same as Ishvara. Ishvara is the Lord. Ishvara is a special Purusha. So what is the difference between your Purusha and Ishvara? Is that you have been contaminated along your Purusha, you are Purusha. Your Purusha has been contaminated. And you need to go back through a process to uncontaminate, to decontaminate. Ishvara, then when you reach that place, you're pure. We call you Purusha. Ishvara has never been contaminated. That's the difference. And according to Patanjali, the only difference. So you could say that according to Patanjali, you become an Ishvara type entity upon liberation, which is blasphemy in the Christian Vidya tradition. Yes, but he doesn't say that we come back to oneness. Vedanta says that. We come back to the mother seed. We are a drop that has been separated and we come back and we are back in the mother seed. And the mother seed is Brahman. The mother seed is the, the divine everything that is God. 
So when you uh, liberate the culture of Vedanta, you become part of the godness, the godhead. That is truly blasphemy in Judeo-Christian terms, right? Now, what Patanjali, he, I don't know, he, he, that is a Advaita, a non-dual approach. He is not there. He is a dual approach. He is a pluralist, a theistic pluralist. Yeah, because he says there is infinite amount of Purushas. So there's your Purushan, my Purushan, David's Purushan, everybody's Purushan. Where are they? I don't know. Could you somehow call that a sea of Purushas? You know, potentially. But it does mean that the he, dif he, he potentially <coughs> differentiates between one Purusha and the other Purusha. Where the Vedanta says one, one sea, one, um, you come back to one place when you are liberated. So there he differentiates a little bit. So therefore, Vedanta is seriously blasphemic, and Patanjali is like it depends on how you want to see it, if he's blasphemic. he does himself I think yeah. I think he's kind of like drawing upon all these traditions and he says these guys thinks everything is one they believe in a, um, what is it called non-dual the Vedantis and then there are these people over here they believe in a dual and then there's these people over here that believes that there is a Godhead that you can be in the grace of and then there's these over here that says that there is no such thing as a godhead, that's just nothing. And then he pulls all these traditions in and he says, let me be as inclusive as I can, so I'm not turning people off to this amazing method, to, to the possibility of moving themselves out, uh, out of suffering. Uh, let me make sure that I don't offer a methodology and a constant, uh, no, that I don't, put my methodology, uh, put the yogi methodology into a framework where the framework turns them off so much so they won't take up the methodology. Is that what he's saying? I don't know. But what I, um, the way I've been taught this from, from Rao, he, say, he says again and again and again that yoga just wants to be useful and practical. Okay. Useful and practical. And then, and then, and then there's all the deeper philosophical stuff that draws on Sankhya and uh, Vedanta and things like that. Did I answer that a little bit? Yeah. Okay. It also raises like these are like almost religious uh, nature of. Questioning, right? Yeah. Yes. I just have something to say about that. Like, you in, isn't yoga kind of like, I mean, yoga is self-realization. It's like the realization of 
that would be a more redundant pursuit and on the verge of Patanjali because he would say that that seed within you that is created from a Godhead that there's interference on the line the glaciers are coming in so that creation that we're doing ourselves that the power of, of the will the power of self the willpower the ability to, to, to determine your own faith is seriously impaired by actions of your past but you could of course also call that part of the creation um, and then again those uh, interferences on the line is also a creation of the same uh, from the same thing so Abhidya? How can you understand that in a way that makes yourself aware what is ignorance and what is not? About what is, ig what is ignorance and what is not? Because he talks about Abhidya, and yeah. the lack of knowledge. Yes. And uh, in a way, or, or devoid of knowledge. Yes. How do you identify what is right and wrong? Yeah, like what is the right ignorance and what is what you mean? Yes. So you know if you're ignorant. Consider yourself ignorant, Juan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and consider yourself in good company, you know? Like, so uh, uh, Patanjali's uh, uh, thesis is that we are all ignorant. Right, and we all live in darkness, and we all live in a state of more or less in um, light turned on. Um, and that the final state, when all the light has been turned on, when you can see everything, that is the very final state. Um, that is the ritambara pragna, like that truth bearing state. So until you are, and that comes, you know, right before you lose your body, you know? Yeah. So it's like, you come to that state where everything is truth, and I somehow assume that when then that state is turned on, you also realize everything, so therefore you cut your lifeline. Then you go. Or your lifeline is cut, you know what I mean? Because because uh, why do you have the lifeline? Why do you think that, why do you have investment in your prakriti? It's because you haven't realized how awesome your purusha is. So then when you realize that, poof, it just falls away. The necessity for it falls away. That is the day when you will know. And before that, you will never know. But what he does suggest is, what you can, you can tanu, you can thin out the kleshas, which is the veiling of the light, of the viveka kyatya, of the, we get to that tomorrow, of the internal, of the lamp of knowledge, of, of knowledge, like true knowing. So they give this example, they say if you have a light, it can shine forever, 
you know, there's not really anything that impairs it in principle, so it can light up everything. And then if you put this, then there's only light inside. So now everything else is dark. So they say that this is what the Clasius does to us. The light is there, it is eternal, it is Purusha, it is there. And then the lampshade, the Prakriti comes around, they shake the light. And then, it, and then that's all that is seen. So that is the darkness we see. Now, through Ekatapa Vyasaha, this happens. So now it starts to shine. It's still impaired, but then at some moment, so we thin out the veil, we thin out the glaciers, we thin out the obstacle to the Viveka Kyatya to shine its light. Yeah, the, to for the for the the light and the knowledge being symptom. Was that an answer? To make any sense? But until that day, we don't know if it's right and wrong. I don't know if it's tequila or uh, water with gas that's in here. I just took a sip, and at that moment, I'm pretty sure it wasn't tequila, because <laughs> everything that came into my mouth gave me the sensory experience of, you know. Pellegrino, but like to be sure that it didn't change, I would need to take another sip. So in that way, like there's never anything I can know. There's nothing I can know. But there is a couple of things that is uh, on a practical day-to-day -day basis. You know, if I buy a bottle that says Pellegrino in it, I can infer, like how to uh, how can I come to right knowledge? I can taste it. That is the best. Second, I can infer that when it says a Pellegrino, it will also have Pellegrino inside. If it says tequila, it probably won't have Pellegrino inside. You know, I can I can infer that. Or if I have a bottle where it's... Oh, oh and before that, if I cannot read, I can ask you, is this uh, Pellegrino or tequila? And depending on what result you want, you can <laughs> <laughs> tell me one thing and the other. Uh, like in the very beginning, he says, he said, Sutra number seven, and the first book of Sutra, he says, Pataksyan Mana Gamaha Pramana Need. So Pramana is correct knowledge. How do we get it? By Prataksya, by Anumana, or by Agamaha. So by personal experience, by inference, or by word from a trusted, from an authority, a trusted authority. Th those are your three options for gaining right knowledge. You read it in the Bible, see it in the Bible. You see smoke, that's fire. You put your hand in, in, the f in this red thing that comes up. Ow! Oh yeah, it's fire. <laughs> Something like that. But up until day, everything's a big blur, man. <laughs> We just 
it's like it would like we you know this the, like for the, it's the blind leading the blind that's it and then you find a guru that has been enlightened like sai baba wow then you follow him because he on instagram yes <laughs> if that's what's available that's what you do <laughs> yes yes Sang doesn't talk about be in the present moment. You know, that's not the, his kind of voc vocabulary. That's kind of a new age vocabulary. And um, you know, we need to like, if we should like look at it from this point of view, we'd be like, what the heck does that mean? You know what I mean? Like, I know kind of what you mean, but what he talks about is that we live in this situation where we don't know what's going on. We are run by some apps inside of us that is out of control. So therefore, um, I have no control over my life. I'm a slave to other what other <coughs> people say. If they yell at me, I get angry. Then I become the Brithy of anger. If they pet me and they say, like today I went and had a coffee, and then when I was paying, she says, uh, thanks, sweetie. You know, the, 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 the nice girl behind the counter. And I was like, oh, she's so nice, yeah? <laughs> so then I became, you know, all like falling in love with the, you know, cafe girl, right? Uh, and then, uh, you know, so then we run by that stuff, like out of control, uh, basically. And then the next moment I want more coffee and then, you know, then I'm run by coffee and, you know. So up until that moment, uh, we Patanjali says, you are not your Swarupa. You are just your Vriti. So I think that's maybe what you say, like being in the present moment, you know? So like what, what Patanjali tries to change, he tries to get you control over that. So if I yell at you or if I call you sweetie, you don't get angry or fall in love with me. You are steady and stable inside. You are just observing what comes at, at you and you are observing the emotions that arise. He said, oh, anger arises. Oh, the falling in love arises. Oh, you know what I mean? So, um, so then when you come to that, you become clear and steady. And that would be maybe be like a first level definition of being in the present moment. Because being your anger is not present. Like Patanjali said, yeah, it feels present, but it isn't. It is just movement in the air. It would be the same if you identify with your presence, no, with your anger, then you have become your anger. And you could, then you have misidentified. That is a conjunction problem. 
book, the Buddhist calls it equanimity, at least in English. <laughs> so, um, and um, Patanjali calls it <coughs> one thirty-three. Oh yeah, uh, he calls it Chitta Prasardhanam, of course. Uh, now that that is the result and the 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 equanimity itself. Yeah, I think so. That's like pretty much. Chitta prasatanam. You wanna stay there. You see, like being in the present moment is so vague a terminology. Like when you get into this, it's so vague because you could say everything was chaos, everything was angry at, everything was asking me things that was unfair. So I got very angry. It's like you could justify how that is then staying in the present moment, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. He's like, now baby, you already lost it. Yeah. <laughs> You're out of control. You have become what everything else is right now. This is what he says. He says, you act from your samskaras. You don't act from what's going on, actually. And, you, and you're not taking a choice. You are not, it, it, what, it's not an action when you become angry. It is a reaction. It's just an appendix of some old survival skill. Shall we go home? Yeah. All right. <coughs> thank you. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Tim's series on the Yoga Sutras. This is part four. So now we're just missing two more parts. And I will get those up as soon as possible. Uh, before I go, I just want to let you know about two things. We have our Ashtanga Practitioners Intensive starting in one month, June 14th, and it goes through July 14th. It's one month of practicing Mysore style in the mornings, learning some sutras and Bhagavad Gita in the afternoon and some vinyasa counting and a lot of other fun stuff. It's full on yoga morning to the afternoon for a full month straight. And I wanted to let you know because Tim is actually teaching the yoga sutras portion this year, which he normally doesn't do. So we're all really excited about that. So if you're interested in getting a little bit deeper into the yoga sutras with Tim, this is a really good opportunity. If you're interested in learning more about our Ashtanga Practitioners Intensive, you can go to our website underneath the API tab. You'll find more information. Or you can send me an email with any questions. My email is monica at miamilifecenter.com. Uh, it's starting pretty soon, and but we still have some few, a few spots left. So if you're interested, sooner rather than later, reach out with any questions, and I'd be happy to help. And the second thing I wanted to let you know about is Tim will be doing a six-day intensive in November. 
So the same thing he did from where these lecture series came from, Meister style in the morning and then afternoon lectures on the Yoga Sutras, he'll be doing the same thing in November, November 5th through the 10th. So if you're interested in that, you can also find it on our website underneath the workshops tab. Besides that, if you have any questions, reach out to us about anything, info at mindmelifecenter.com, or you can always reach out to us on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any suggestions for future podcast ideas that you have, send those along also. Um, if not, just come practice with us in South Beach. We'd always love to see you in Mysore or in our guided classes. And that's it for now. See you soon. Namaste.